Hey guys, Joe Miles here with ICO Gear. This is the Mission Whitetail Podcast. We're going to be doing a deep dive into what it truly takes to kill these mature bucks. We're going to step outside the box and look at the why for gear, tactics, training, and more importantly, the mindset from over 35 years of chasing these magnificent animals all over North America. Thank you for following along and welcome to Mission Whitetail. What's up, guys? Mission Whitetail, episode number 50. Had a lot going on, guys. From the last one, we've been doing quite a few shows. We did the Harrisburg show. We actually did kind of a roundtable up there at Harrisburg for the last episode. And then the next show up was the Shipshawana show. That's in Indiana. Great show. It's in kind of Amish country and had a huge turnout. was incredible. Got to do another roundtable with Don Higgins, Alan Foster, Bobby Worthington, and the Wenzel brothers, Gene and Barry Wenzel. That was also quite an event. I mean, it was probably one of the most special nights since I've been hunting, hanging out with different people. I mean, the knowledge between those guys is pretty epic. And to have an opportunity to hang out with them and talk deer hunting and just be around those guys and be a sponge was was really something special and it's my understanding that you're going to be able to see a video of that entire round table on either don higgins whitetail master academy or they're going to post it on chasing giants uh, one of those things but we'll keep you posted on that what i wanted to do today is i did a seminar at the Shipshawana show, I did a 30 or 45 minute long seminar and one of the first ones of those that I've done and enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun and I thought I would go through, for some of you guys obviously that weren't there, just go through that seminar kind of piece by piece and discuss it as, as we go from slide to slide. But the name of it was the Whitetail Process. And basically... It was talking about what we do from now until hunting season to get ready. And so the way I started it off was with goals. And I asked the crowd, I said, you know, who here has a goal of killing a big deer? And of course, everybody in the crowd raised their hands. And I said, okay, as you can see, that's the easy part is setting your goal. Lucas, you're very distracted on your phone, by the way. <laughs> Say something, Lucas. Lucas is here with us, and he's scrolling through Instagram right behind the camera, and it's very distracting. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. I'll get you involved here in just a second. <laughs> All right, derailed a little bit, but the first thing I said was goals. You know, set your goals and... Everybody wants the same thing, right? Everybody wants to kill a big deer. And what separates the guys that just set their goals and the guys that actually accomplish them is their process and the work they put in from now until the season starts. And so the first thing we got into was different playing fields. You know, everybody has a different playing field. It's not like football, 
100 yards, 100 yard long field by 50 yards wide, 11 players on offense, 11 players on defense. Everybody in the hunting world has a different amount of time, a different amount of resources, different part of the country they live in, different kinds of equipment, different philosophies on how they hunt. So everybody is not on the same playing field, but we can all develop a process that's going to make the season better. I started off when I got into the process was talking about, you, you guys have heard me talk quite a bit about GBRS and SEAL Team 6. And last time I was with these guys, I asked them, I said, what separates a regular SEAL, you know, somebody that's finished SEAL training, has gotten on one of the teams, and the SEAL Team 6 guys, because everybody can do the push-ups, everybody, everybody that's a SEAL can do the push-ups, can do the runs, uh, has a really strong mindset. So what, what separates the guys that go from regular SEAL Team to SEAL Team 6? And they answered that emphatically and quickly, discipline and attention to detail. Those are the two things that separate guys from being, quote-unquote, a good hunter or an elite great hunter is your attention to detail and your discipline. And let's break that down a little bit. What does that mean, discipline and attention to detail? Well, in the hunting world, discipline would be doing things how they're supposed to be done, when they're supposed to be done. So you, you could say <coughs> putting out mineral. Let's just use that as an example. That stuff needs to be out in March. You got things that come up each weekend, so you're delayed and you're like, oh, it'll be okay if it gets put out in April, it gets put out in May, and then you end up being two months late. Well, that's not being disciplined. Another discipline would be certain wind. I've got a stand that I need to hunt on a northeast wind. I get a dead north wind and I say, you know what, that's close enough. I'm going to go in and hunt that stand. That's not having discipline versus staying out of there until you have a northeast wind. Another one is you're in the stand and you've got that northeast wind and the thermals change or something changes and it comes out of the south and you're sitting there and you convince yourself, no, maybe the deer will come from the other side as opposed to getting in or getting down and getting out of there. That would be the discipline it takes to hunt correctly. And guys that maintain that discipline in everything they do, hunting-wise, are the ones that are successful. And then you switch over to attention to detail. And I talked about this in the seminar. I said, you know, when you're setting up your site, your bow site, attention to detail is making sure your top pin is green because those get the green gets brightest the soonest early in the morning so you can see under low light conditions and then it also stays the brightest late in the evening also for low light condition and you have that pen set at 019 thickness so it's a little thicker so that it gets bright quicker and stays bright longer and if you're going to be using that top pen those are at closer distances say 0 to 25 or 30 yards so you can get away with a little fatter pin 
and then maybe your second or third pin are 0.010s, so it's a smaller pin, so it's more precise aiming at longer shots. So that would be attention to detail. Also, setting your stand up. These are just another example of attention to detail. Setting your stand up at the right height that you need to be to be able to shoot over or under certain limbs, certain brush. Uh, having your stand turned the exact way you need to have it turned, not saying that it can be you know, a little bit off to the right, doing everything you can to make sure you're paying attention to every potential area that a deer could come from and making sure the stand is set exactly right, that you're looking at your shooting lanes and not leaving anything to chance, that you're making sure that every limb that needs to be sawed is sawed and that you're paying attention to all the little details, wrapping your straps up so they're not flopping in the wind. If you've got a lifeline, trying to weave it and hide it in your stick so it's just not flopping out there when the wind blows. Uh, let's see, what else? Oh, attention to detail. Where you set your bow hanger. Is your bow hanger set high enough that if you need to shoot to your weak side or your left side if you're right-handed, is that bow hanger going to be in the way, way and maybe hit the cam? Where is your pack set on the tree so that if you need to get into it to get a grunt call or maybe your binoculars if you don't have those on you or your wind checker, it's a really slight move to get that out of your pack. Is your pack set at the right height? All those little things are things that can be overlooked, but if you pay attention to detail, it's only going to serve you better. All right, so after that, I kind of broke down my process and I went through just kind of bullet points of things that I do from January to August. And the first thing I do when my season's over is I do a full assessment of the season and the successful hunts and the hunt breakdowns and what went right and what went wrong and I actually make a list of that. I don't just mentally file them away. I make a list so that I can go back to that. I do a gear assessment. Everything that I use from tree stands to trail cameras to broadheads to arrows to bows, I make an assessment of all of that. Anything that didn't work well, like for example, this year I had trouble with those nocturnals and so now I know this year I need to start experimenting and testing some new lighted knocks. Habitat work, you know, I've got some rut funnels I need to tighten up. I've got some feed trees that I want to create some funnels around, especially in the swamp here in South Carolina, so that I can kind of narrow down their travel to and from those feed trees. Um, always assess new properties. I have been following my buddy Cole Powell and he's been sending out a whole bunch of stuff to try and get access to new properties. So stuff like that, you know, he's working hard. He's got a great process and I guarantee you it's gonna pay off come uh, this fall. And then of course, scouting new properties. You know, it's crazy show season right now for us, but come the middle to end of March, I'm gonna get some free time and you know, I'll be out scouting that time of year looking for new properties, scouting new properties. I'll get a trip out to Kentucky. I'll get a trip out to Kansas, you know, long weekends. Maybe it's suicide drives out there, you know, all the way to Kansas, 17 hours to do two days of work and drive back over the weekend. Those are the type things that it takes. 
Uh, let's see. Next. Oh, then I then I did like a month by month breakdown of what I built. Really, just talked about was pulling all my equipment and a full personal assessment of the season. I guess I'm kind of beating a dead horse there. I kind of already talked about that, but again. Why do I pull all my equipment, like every single stand and every single trail camera? Um, I know a lot of guys leave their tra some trail cameras out and want to let them bake throughout the year. I am not super concerned with what the deer are doing. I want them to relax totally during the non-hunting season, and I don't really care what they're doing up until we're getting closer to when I can hunt them. So I pull all my cameras out. I don't like any, I don't let anything bake during the off season. I know some guys do that and that's certainly fine. It's my opinion that, that that's not gonna help me. So I pull them all out. And then with equipment, like all of my stands and sticks, I don't like leaving those things out and letting them weather. I like to get them all in. I like to do an inventory, anything that I'm missing, um, so I know what I may need to add for the following season. And then I inspect the heck out of them. You know, I check all the straps, make sure no squirrels, sun rot, dry rot. None of that has affected the straps. <clears throat> and I actually won't run straps longer than two years. I change all stand and stick straps out after two years. You know, I'm, I'm getting, I'm, I'm 48, getting a little older, got a family. What are you laughing at, Lucas? Nothing. Is 48 not that old? 48 is pretty young. Yeah, I mean, heck, is. those guys I was with this week were 70 and 80 years old. Yeah. Don was a spring chicken, and he's 60. What are you laughing at? <laughs> Nothing. Oh, you are laughing at something. You think I'm getting old? No. Okay. All right, back, back on topic, Lucas. Uh, inspecting everything to make sure it's safe. The cables, especially with the lock-ons, Man, make sure those things aren't rusting. Make sure no bolts are coming loose. You know, with the Lone Wolf Custom Gear, that stuff is pretty bulletproof and really well made. But I like to inspect everything. Uh, lifelines, pull those out. Safety harnesses, check those. Make sure there's no wear and tear. Just a full equipment assessment and see what I need to add, see what needs to be replaced. Personal assessment of the season. Again, what went right, what went wrong. Uh, this year was very successful, shot six bucks. Had one that I've talked about quite a bit in the South Carolina Swamp, a nice 10 point down there that I knew about year before last. I hunted last year for a good part of the season. Never had an encounter with him. It was just cat and mouse the whole season. Only got two or three daylight pictures of him the whole year. So that's something that I've started making a lot of notes on, reviewed camera, uh, trail camera pictures of him, starting to devise a plan <clears throat> for early season. One of his areas that he frequences, frequents a lot, there's a sawtooth grove that did not produce a ton of acorns this past year, so I'm expecting it to be really good this coming year. And I'm going to tighten up some funnels leading into that grove of saltus. And I think I have a real good opportunity of getting him right there. And then there is a rut spot. I think you all have heard me talk about the duck pond that's fenced in. There is a spot right there that is a, 
heck of a funnel that I just need to drop some trees on the far side of it. And that is one of the places I got the one of the only daylight pictures of him right there. And I got two of those, one the year before and one this year. And had I just rotted right there in that spot and hunted it every morning we had had good cool weather, I would have gotten a shot at him. So <clears throat> I'm gonna tighten that spot up. And then there's two or three other places that I wanna scout a little bit better so those are notes that I have made after the season and things I'm going to work on when I start tightening things up for this year. Uh, any gear failures? So that's kind of my January. Obviously, I went to the ATA show to look at all the new gear. I may have talked about this some, but G5's got a new broadhead coming out called the T2 that looks very much like a hyped-up Rage or a thickened up lucas did you get to look at that broadhead i did not that's good i told you about it you didn't even go by there and look at it imagine that um but it's really like a rage tripan but it's beefed up sharper blades which g5's known for and the ferrule is a little bit shorter and fatter so it's a little bit i guess stronger obviously we're going to get some and test them uh, looked at some new sites, still really like the black gold dual tracks. That's the favorite, my favorite site. Hadn't seen anything to change that. Uh, normally in January, I would do some bow testing, but I hadn't gotten all those in my hands and I am kicking around the idea of doing some traditional hunting this year. So maybe shooting a trad bow, a recurve or a long bow this season. Going to do quite a bit of practicing with that here in the off season, and seeing where that where that goes. Got a couple hunts coming up for exotics and going over to Africa, and going to take the trad bow on those and see see how it does and does. And if I get pretty proficient with it, probably going to shoot that some you know this whitetail season. <clears throat> so that's going to be quite a bit different and something I'm looking forward to. Let's see. February, normally do quite a bit of new gear testing. With our show season, we haven't been able to do much of that at all. We have obviously made some lists of some gear we want to test. Bows this year, I've narrowed it down to the Matthews Lift and the Prime Rev X, the 33 Rev X and the Lift. I'm really looking forward to shooting both of those. It'll get that done. That's probably going to be a little bit behind this year because of all the trade shows that we've been to. And hope to get that done middle to end of March and kind of settle in on a bow that we're going to go with compound-wise this coming year. And it certainly could stick with the V3X. You know, I didn't move to the Phase 4 last year because I didn't see a huge difference. But I'm hearing a lot of good things about the RevX and also the Matthews lift. So plan on shooting those. Broadheads, I'll be shooting either the tripan or that new T2 or maybe the Mega Meat. A uh, lot of good things about the Mega Meat. Apparently that is the new number one selling broadhead on the market. It took over the Rage broadheads, which is pretty darn neat because G5 is not some giant co company. They're not owned by a conglomerate. You know, they're a, a family-owned company, kind of a mid-tier mid would be the wrong answer, but mid-size company 
that's not pumping millions and millions of dollars into marketing. And the mega meat's been around for, you know, between five and seven years. And if it was a broadhead that failed a lot, there's no way with the marketing dollars that G5's pumping out there that the broadhead would be the number one selling broadhead on the market. So kudos to G5 and the mega meat. And the more and more and more I hear and see about that broadhead, the more I like it. So those would be the three that I will be testing the Mega Meat, the new G5 T2, and of course the Tripan. Stand wise, uh, gonna be sticking with the Lone Wolf Custom Gear stands. Love those tree stands, light, safe, well put together, <clears throat> easy to hang. Sticks, I've been running a combination of the original Lone Wolf st uh, sticks. What do they call the. They've got the double sticks. I've got some of those. I've got the full or the 17 inchers. And then I've got, I guess they call them the singles, the 17 inch singles that fold up. So really going to be using those again. I've got the new e-bike in from Steve Pinkston, the hardcore e-cycle. I think it's called their mount, mountaineering or mountain bike. It, it's the one that has the biggest motor and can go the longest. I think it's like it has like a 90 mile or 70 mile range. So excited about those. Um, trail cameras, I'll continue running the Spartans and some of the Exodus, like both those cameras. Uh, equipment wise, you know, that that's really that's really about it on the equipment. Let's see. When we get into March through May. That's when I get serious about properties because we'll know if we got drawn in Kansas. I'm going to be looking for stuff in Kansas and Nebraska this year because I have a feeling I'm not going to get drawn in Kansas this year. I've been drawn three years in a row. So my backup plan, if I don't get drawn in Kansas, will be Nebraska and Ohio. <clears throat> and then obviously my buddy Jeff in Ohio going to be hunting with him again this year. He and I met and talked about a couple things we're going to do on that Ohio property up in Harrisburg. <clears throat> so going to get that property dialed a little bit better. And I, I, there was a giant typical seven by seven in there and five or six up and coming bucks. So I think that property is going to make a huge jump. So fingers crossed on Kansas, but doubt that's going to happen. And then hopefully can find something in Nebraska and then it'll do Nebraska rut, Ohio rut. And then of course, Kentucky will be right back in that same funnel in Kentucky. And then early season, Kentucky will go out there and do glassing for a couple days. And if nothing's in those bean fields, we're not going to waste much time. We'll come right back here and continue hunting here in South Carolina. I'm going to get all my mineral out in Kentucky and South Carolina because those are places that I know I can hunt and then also up in Ohio. Those are all three places that I know I can hunt so I'll get that mineral out. Seymour will be running a mineral program out in Kansas so that'll be set. Habitat work, I kind of mentioned that and funnel prep, old and new, that goes on from March to May. And then I'll be scouting some more feed trees and creating some funnels to and from these feed trees. You know, something that I learned this year talking to a guy named Jonathan Moreland in Arkansas. He's a big 
feed tree guy and he hunts those massive river delta in Arkansas and it's very similar to this Congaree River system that we hunt here. The Congaree is not as big but same type habitat. These large river bottoms with hardwoods and then you've got cutovers and pine plantations and it's really hard to pinch these deer down but what he concentrates on are these feed trees meaning white oaks, red oaks, uh, what, do, what do they call those? It, it's a pin oak or a red oak. It's like a swamp oak, but Bobby calls them something. I can't remember. But anyway, it's oak trees. And concentrate on those with those sawtooths dropping early in August, September and October, some of the oaks other red oaks start dropping and the white oaks start dropping in October here in South Carolina. So I'm going to start kind of going in and doing a better job of pinning down these individual big trees that are going to have acorns and then start doing some hinge cutting and some brush piles to funnel these deer to and from these feed trees. So that's something I'm going to be implementing that I, I really was listening to him and how he does that in those big river systems in Arkansas and think that can absolutely work here in South Carolina. So I'm gonna do quite a bit of that. Let's see here. Then we started talking about June and August, June through August, not June and August, Lucas, June, July, and August. It wouldn't make sense to go from June straight to August, would it? No. So, June through August, I will really, really, really start concentrating on my shooting. I try and shoot this time of year as much as I can, but starting June through August, I get real serious about it. And what I mean by that is lots of real world shooting practice, not just back here in the warehouse, shooting on flat ground at a target, or even shooting out of our tower, which is more real world. I'm gonna be going to the woods with 3D targets, with stands, with sticks, with lifelines, with safety harnesses, <coughs> and, and shooting for, for an hour and setting the targets up in different scenarios, in actual holes in the timber, shooting over and under limbs, shooting around the tree. And I, I cannot stress how important that is and how much it has helped me when I get into the season because very rarely do I get in a shot opportunity on a deer that I haven't practiced something really similar. You know, I think back to the buck that I shot early season in South Carolina last year, and that was a major steep quartering away shot right at last light, top pin being green. I could see my pin completely clear. I put the air in right in front of the back hip big two inch uh, rage tripan hole, got an exit, and everything that I'd practiced and worked on in gear came together there. Tracked the buck 300 yards through a cutover, had blood the whole way. I'm 100% convinced a small fixed blade head, it would have been the next day before I found that deer and it was 90 something degrees that night with 80% humidity and he would have been spoiled, saved the meat and the shooting practice back to that having practiced in low light at absolute first light and last light, shooting in the woods with different angles of the deer, 
uh, really paid off. The buck in Kansas, steep quartering two, straight straight down, right under me. Um, again, a shot that I had practiced thousands of times, and I was able to put the arrow right where I wanted it, and it dumped him. You know, I, you know, we posted that reel, and it got about a million views, right, Lucas? Yep. I mean, a million views, and you know, 200 or so comments. And some of those comments, you know, were super negative about unethical shot. You know, you shouldn't have shot him quarter and two. Well, you know, that's that's easy for those guys to say, and they're certainly entitled to their opinion. But I felt extremely confident with that shot because I know the anatomy of the deer. It hit his jugular. It severed his spine. It went through the shoulder junction into the front side lung, and it dumped him right there. And for me, that was a super ethical shot and one that killed him immediately. Um, is the broadside shot more ethical? And that instance, either one of them would have worked. Steep quartering away right there would have worked because I know the anatomy and I practice the shot all the time in real world practice. Another thing I'll be doing right now or, or right then that time of year, June through August, is shooting drills, uh, one of which, or what I'm going to do some more of this year, especially if I'm doing traditional, is long holes, drawing back and holding the bow for long periods of time, then releasing the arrow to condition my muscles to be able to do that so I don't get shaky. And then, of course, my time drill. I've mentioned this before in other podcasts, but I'll talk about it again briefly here. Basically what it is, you, you need to get a partner. I'll have Lucas or somebody help me with this. You get in an elevated position, whether that be a stand, second story window, or in our case, in our tower out back or in the woods. And you set a target up at, I mean, I'm just going to use round numbers here, 10, 20, 30, 40 yards, four targets. You could certainly set them up at seven yards, 14 yards, 23 yards, which is even better different yardages that are odd because everybody's pins are set on even even yardages so mix it up even more and you draw your bow back and you're holding it and then your partner that is with you will call out the yardage of the target he'll say 30 yards if that's where you have a target or say it's 28 yards 28 yards so you have to settle on that target and then he'll start counting down five, four, three, two, one, as soon as he nominates whatever yardage target he wants you to shoot at, and you have five seconds to execute the shot. It does two things. You've got a person there that quote unquote is judging your shooting, so it puts a lot of pressure on you. You've got a time frame to get anchored, or you're already anchored, but to get acclimated with your target and get on target and then you only have five seconds to execute the shot so it is very real world as far as your adrenaline heightening and having to simulate a deer walking into a shooting lane stopping for a second and you executing the shot so that is a really really good drill and one that has paid itself in spades for me over the years and I try and implement that a lot during that June to August time frame before the season gets started. Another thing I'll do is get my early season cameras out. I'll do that 
middle to end of July, 1st of August, and I will get them in two different places. I'll get them in where I think the early season bachelor group or bucks here in South Carolina and Kentucky are going to be feeding early season where I can get some daylight of them. And then I will get all my cameras positioned and turned on in my rut funnels because you're not going to get a whole lot of deer coming through there that time of year. But that way I'm not forced to have to go in there you know, a week before the rut or whatever it is when I get out there and cut cameras on. So I'll go ahead and do that in late July, early August, get all my rut funnel cameras turned on, batteried up, ready to go. And then when we get into the first week of August to August 10th, I will start tweaking those early season cameras here in South Carolina to try and really drill down on a buck I want to kill in a bachelor herd and then start trying to figure out how he's accessing the food that he's eating, where he's coming from, because it's still a bed-to-food scenario with zero pressure. So I'm super cognizant about how I'm getting these cameras in there. I don't want them smelling where I was. And so I'll try and do it during rain. I'll try and do it late morning so my scent has a lot of time to get out of there before they start moving in the afternoons my approach to these areas my entry and exit try to get you know on the side of where they're coming so set the camera up so that it's shooting out away from where i walked in not not from where i walked in so very very cognizant about that because as soon as these early season bucks know they're being hunted man everything changes so that's what i'll do june to august Um, Then I went through some hunt breakdowns, and you're not going to be able to see those on this video or listening to a podcast, but I went through uh, early season Kentucky hunt, early season South Carolina hunt, and a couple of rut hunts from this year, and then I went through the tracks buck hunt. Uh, Lucas, the seminar, will it be... Did you record the whole thing? Uh, Steve did. Steve recorded the whole thing. Yeah, I got it. Will there be an opportunity for for guys? Oh, he's already sent it to you. Uh, Yeah, he gave it to me. Okay, so you've got it. Yep. Did he say when or how we could? No. I'm going to talk to him and see because, remember, they they might do something with it as well. All right, so, yeah, we'll we'll see what they're going to do with it, but we'll end up putting that seminar on the real – on the real. We'll put it on the Joe Miles Hunting YouTube channel. Yep. And then guys can check that out, and obviously we'll post about that uh, coming up when it is when it is live. So what I got coming up now this weekend? Uh, what is the date, Lucas? Today is February nineteenth, so this thing will be uh, posted on the twenty first. That'll be Wednesday, yep. right? So Wednesday, actually Wednesday afternoon, I'm headed up to Bobby Worthington's. We are going to do, it's going to be actually fun. I'm really looking forward to this. He's going to give me some traditional bow shooting practice. We're going to do that for a full day on Thursday. Then Friday morning, we're actually going to do a rabbit hunt. I hadn't done one of those since I was a kid, but he's a he's a houndsman. He's got a bunch of beagles that are supposedly, or not supposedly, they are world champion beagles. So we're going to do a rabbit hunt for part of the, for the first half of Friday. And then we've got a skeleton crew coming in Friday afternoon, 
and all day Saturday to do a walkthrough of the seminar and the course that we're doing. The first one is March 8th through the 10th, and the second one is the 15th through the 17th. Those are the two courses that we have. The 15th through the 17th is completely full. The first one, we actually had two guys fall out of that course. Um, they had schedule conflicts and work issues come up. So we do have two spots open for that course. Guys, if ever there was an opportunity to go to something, to be able to spend time with Bobby Worthington in the woods, I would highly recommend it. Bobby's 70 years old now. Don't know how much longer he's going to be doing stuff like this and opening up really his home farm and where he hunts to guys to come in and learn. So I'm as excited about this from a deer knowledge perspective as anything I've ever done. If you are interested in one of these last two spots, reach out to me, joe at osseogear.com, or you can call the Osseo Gear phone number and ask for Cole or me and tell them you're interested in, in one of those two spots. So we'll be doing that coming up. Uh, also, for you guys that are out and about and wanting to go to different trade shows, we're going to be in Indiana this weekend. This weekend is February 22nd or 23rd through the 25th. Uh, Isn't that right? 22nd yeah. through the yep. 23rd through the 25th. Yep. We'll be in Indiana at Indianapolis. And then the following weekend, March 1st through the 3rd, is the Iowa Big Buck Classic. Pretty fired up about that. I'm excited to be in Iowa and seeing all those big deer. We're actually going to be situated right next to the... What were you laughing at? Nothing. You're laughing at something yeah. again, Lucas. What? Nothing. I mean, spit it out, man. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Just laughing for no reason. I love it. So we're going to be in Iowa, Big Buck Classic, next to the deer, the buck display. So I hope I'm able to focus on actually talking instead of staring at all those big deer because Iowa is known for giants. Um, so we will be, those are the next two trade shows. That is what we've got going on with ICO right now and with Mission Whitetail. Uh, got some Things cooking with Don Higgins and the Chasing Giant guys, so no announcement quite yet to make, but got some interesting stuff coming down the pipe there that I'm really excited about. It's that time, guys. we got to be working hard this off-season, getting things tightened up, getting real proficient with your equipment. Don't put all that stuff off till the first week of August and try and get ready. Do it now. Get ready now. Start getting prepared. Like the SEAL Team guy said, the difference between a SEAL Team guy and SEAL Team 6 is attention to detail and discipline. And now's the time we can start incorporating those habits and trying to get better every single day and get ready for the season. So guys, any questions or comments, reach out to us. I think our next I'll either have a guest on the next podcast or we'll do a question and answer. And that's what we got coming, guys. We appreciate everybody listening. Lucas, you got anything? Nope. Good to go. Yep. Lucas is a man of few words. <laughs> Maybe you can read the questions on the next one. How's that sound? Sounds good. 
All right, guys, y'all take care, have a good week, and we will be back soon. Thank you.